When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everyone, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg, and I am your host of Yoga Birth Babies. And today we're going to talk about where to birth. And you may be thinking, where else to birth? There's only one place, but there are options. And if you don't know them, you don't have them. So we're going to talk about hospital births and birth centers and home births and the pros and cons of all those options, who's a good candidate for different options and what you're drawn to and what will best support you and your vision of where to birth. So to have this conversation, I have my friend, Catherine Stewart Lindley. Let me tell you a little bit about Catherine. So Catherine is a labor support doula and childbirth educator and has been supporting families in New York City for over 20 years. Catherine has taught for decades in New York City at Real Birth, Tribeca Parenting, and yes, Prenatal Yoga Center, as well as supporting families with private childbirth education. She has attended thousands, yes, you heard that, multiple thousands of births and taught countless families over the years. Catherine believes that the birth of our children is a profoundly special event and that support around it needs to be uniquely personal and unconditional. And I love speaking with Catherine. She is shoot from the hip. She has her facts. She is really wonderful. And I think our conversation can just help people that aren't quite sure of all their options decide what's best for them. And it's never about where your doctor or doula or midwife thinks you should birth. It's really what's best for you and the safest for you. And that is different for everybody. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Catherine. Now, before we get to that, I just want to go over a few things going on at PYC. So we are still having classes online seven days a week. And we've now opened up our at home in in the studio classes five days a week for in-person. I'm really, really thrilled about that. And we're going to continue to add more classes in person through into the fall. Now, if you can't make it to class every day, which I know not, it's not available for everybody and our time and our schedule doesn't allow that, head to our brand new website and grab your free downloadable five simple solutions to the most common pregnancy pains. So that is your cheat sheet on days that maybe your back hurts, or your hips hurt, and you can't get a whole class in. We'll have a few little simple solutions that you can do right on the spot and hopefully that will send you off on your day and you'll be feeling better. I also want to talk about our teacher training because we've had some ups and downs with it. So a couple years ago, I was thinking, are we ever going to get back in person? And we are. I'm so excited. So this fall, we'll be back in person and then we're going to do it 
online. We actually have people from all over the world showing up online. It's pretty amazing. We'll do November and December online, January, February online, and then back in person for March and April. So if you're a teacher and you want to take a very deep dive into this work, check that out also on our website, prenatalyogacenter.com. And then the last couple of things I want to say is thank you for those that have been leaving rating interviews. It helps people find us. I know it takes effort and that is exhausting for everyone. So thank you for those that have done it. And if you have please take a moment to do so. And then my last call is to you, the listener. If you have a topic that I haven't covered, I want to hear about it because I will do my best to find someone to speak on that topic. It's really important to me that I find an expert that feels well-rounded and can give factual information uh, unbiasedly. So please let me know if there's something I haven't covered that you want to hear. Okay. You can send that request to info at prenatalyogacenter.com and I'll read it or Renee, our amazing operational manager will read it. Someone will read it and we'll we'll jump on that. Okay, cool. We're going to take a super quick break. When we come back, please enjoy my conversation with Catherine. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, Catherine. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm so happy to speak with you because not only are you an amazing doula, but you've been in this world for kind of forever. <laughs> you have so yes. much Dinosaurs roamed the earth <laughs> at that point when I started. Yes. yes. <laughs> and it's just so great because I know you have so much knowledge. So I'm really excited to speak about people's options for where to birth. So I guess the first thing we should do is let people know a little bit about you and what led you to do the work in childbirth education. So, yeah, as we've just referred to, I've been doing this a very long time and I was raised around animals. So I experienced animal birth for the entire time I was growing up, um, large and small. And, um, it really spoke to me. My sisters were like, uh, leave me out of it. And I was like, pick me, pick me. I wanted to be, um, snow white when I was little, not because of so the, you could speak to white the animals? skin and the black hair. Yes, yes, because when she would go into the forest, the animals would just, the wild animals would just come to her. And that was what I, I really, truly wanted that. And I, I actually did that. I had wild animals would come to me. Um, but my grandfather, who um, is, was kind of like Dr. Doolittle, who didn't talk, you know, like Dr. Doolittle was all, you know, about verbiage and talking uh-huh. to the animals. Well, he was, he was speaking without language, which is kind of an animal's language. And, um, they would come to him and just, they would melt in his presence. And I was fascinated by that because we're talking about cattle and they, um, and he, um, did not have an operational farm where cattle were being used for their bodies, for their meat, for their milk. He let the Borden cattle retire. Borden is a milk producing company retire on his property. So the heifers who were quite young when they were milked out, um, retired on his property and um, lived normal lives. And then he got a bull 
And so we had a bull on one side of the road driving into the farm and, and the cattle on the other side. So they lived normal lives. And so it's like not a quote unquote farm like you, like whatever encounter somewhere, but just animals, big, these beautiful bovine, sweet creatures living their, their lives. And, um, and so I, my education was not very much talking about it because he largely didn't speak it, a pipe coming out of one side of his mouth. And I'll always remember the scent of that, of that pipe. And it was all in energy, essentially the way that he was doing what he did with them. Um, so, um, eventually I, you know, I had a whole other career. Um, and, but I had a friend who was pregnant and, um, we were talking about things and all, you know, her experience and all of my references had four legs and fur. And so it was comedic. We, we, we would talk about things and uh, I could only refer to it because I was fascinated by what she was learning. And I can't remember whether she was doing, whether she did Lamaze or Bradley. It was basically only two, um, you know, styles of childbirth back then. Um, but you know, um, my references were very different from what she was learning, but she found them fascinating as she eventually asked me to be at her birth. And I attended and, um, it was so foreign. It was like I was on an, uh, a, a UFO to me. Um, what was happening because birth to me was, you know, um, not bad. <laughs> you know, it was basically, um, so quiet and simple and dark and, um, but it, so it was just very, I felt kind of in, in another universe. Um, and she, uh, delivered on her hands and knees and her baby was like, pushed up put underneath her and kind of looking up at her. And I, it was before the cord was clamped. So we're talking in a, you know, just a few minutes after birth. Um, she looked up at me, her hair was stuck forward on her face, all wet. Cause she'd been working really hard. She looked up at me and she said, um, she said, whatever this is, you've got to do it. <laughs> and like what I had done for her. And I had no idea what she was talking about because there was like, I didn't know what that was. And, um, and I thought it was a one-off and anyway, so I kind of like ended up doing this a, a few more times amongst our friends who were, um, having children and then eventually found out what it was. And, um, later did a course with, um, the amazing Deborah Pascali Bonaro and, uh, started doing this work and transitioning into it. Um, but that's, so that was my entry into it was from, uh, four legs and fur who taught me so much about the, what the process really is when it's stripped down, what we actually do have access to, but the prefrontal cortex, the thinking part of our human brain has no idea, none. It can't contact it. It doesn't speak that language and yet it's there. And so we can harness it. And that's part of what I harness with my clients is basically what you know that you don't know that you know. Mm -hmm. um, and that, so like what the, the, the body is brilliant at doing, but not just in a, just believe it's there and kind of jump off a cliff, but I prove it to my clients, like what their system already knows how to do, where they're like, oh my God, you're right. I do. This, this is there, that, that knowing and understanding is there. So that's how I got into it. So what's so interesting is we're going to talk about places to birth and 
the imagery I had as you were talking about the cows and your friend was, and you, I think you even said like a dark space that most beings when they're birthing, if you're in the animal world, do go into a secluded dark space. They're not going to be in the middle of the road with bright lights on them. And even, and we're going to talk about the different options of where to birth, but we can still create that space even in a hospital, you know, where there often are bright oh, lights. So I love that you introduced what birth could be like. And when we take that front part of our brain out, like the thinking mind and go into that instinctual place that will benefit if we choose the place and then how to create that space within that place. So I'm really excited to talk about people's options and then within these options, how we can still create this environment. And we'll even go into like good candidates for like, we're going to talk about birth centers and home births. And some people are great candidates and some people it's not the best choice for them. So I guess let's back sure. it up and let's yep. go over what are people's options for where to birth. And even though when I say that, I know not everyone's going to fit into all the different categories, but let's just lay it out. What are people's options? Okay. So our first and probably most obvious um, is birthing in the hospital. There are multiple hospitals across New York City that have labor and delivery floors. And so that's, you know, what is most common in terms of statistics, um, where people birth in the United States. We also have birth centers. So um, just speaking very generally, there are birth centers that can be inside hospitals. We used to have um, some in New York City. We no longer do have that, but um, that was, you know, is an option in some places. And then there are freestanding birth centers, which are in independent um, uh, operation, which then if something happens and needs to, they transfer to a hospital, um, but they are an independent location. And then there is home birth. And that would be a, a labor that unfolds at home. Uh, the, anyone attending that birth comes to the home and brings all the equipment to the person at their home and the baby is born there and stays there. Perfect. All right. So we have our options. So I might want to jump ahead a little bit to good candidates for, so if someone's listening to this, they're like, Ooh, that sounds nice to just be at home and stay at home. But what would make someone a good candidate for a home birth? And let's also throw in birth center because some people would not have a, a safe birth at home necessarily. Right. So basically one of the prerequisites for typically home or home birth or birth center birth is a low risk woman. So you know, when we, when we start our pregnancies and, um, are in the early stages of pregnancy, um, you typically have a first meeting with whomever you reach out to. So it's amazing to me that each woman who gets pregnant has no idea what to do. Um, and like where they're supposed to turn, who, when do I, when am I supposed to have an appointment and who am I supposed to reach out to? And that the choices you make early affect your, your, um, your experience at the end of pregnancy into labor. And so like, I think that that shocks a lot of people and some people then end up making decisions that aren't actually in line with who they are philosophically about birth. And so our goal here today, um, the goal in my, my working with clients is that they would be absolutely in the right place and with the right kind of practitioner that is, um, that is, 
aligned with their belief system because sort of the worst case scenario and what I experience when I support people as a doula is when their practitioner, meaning their OB or midwife, the, the person managing their medical care is way over on one end of the spectrum and they're way over on the other end of the spectrum and meaning that they don't see eye to eye. Mm-hmm. That's not the kind of ideal scenario when we're talking about something uh, as big an experience as birth. So unfortunately, people have to make decisions very, very early on, like as early as like eight weeks in pregnancy about what kind of birth they're looking for. But so most importantly is that someone's been categorized as low risk. So that can have lots of different, you know, meanings of what that is. And some of its age, some of its history, medical history and physical history and things like that. But you do have to be someone who's considered a good candidate for it. Mm-hmm. And that is coming with, you know, finding your primary caregiver for your birth. And there are a couple of options or a few options. There's obstetrician and they practice in hospital. There are midwives that practice in hospital and there are midwives that practice in birth centers and there are midwives who practice in home births. Um, I believe in New York City, we have one obstetrician who practices in a birth center in Bay Ridge in, in uh, Brooklyn. But so those are basically the range of practitioners. And I like to go through the practitioner to get to location because probably in my experience, the most important decision that a family makes, a pregnant person makes, is who is managing their medical care. Um not even the location, because that goes along with it, but like how that person sees birth, how that person sees them and their bodies and their, their ability. Um, so you were going to say something. Yeah. So let's, since we're talking about that, some people may have heard of midwives and a lot of people have, but some haven't. So will you talk a little bit about the different practices of, obstetricians compared to midwives and also some of the basic philosophy. Cause I actually find, I know a small handful of obstetricians that actually lean more into the midwifery philosophy. And I know some midwives are actually yes. very, uh, I, I guess I should know I, the word traditional comes into my mind and a little bit more pathological. So will you go a little bit into the different schools of thoughts? Sure. I put it on a, um, a, it's like the pendulum swings from two extremes right. and at one end of the spectrum, um, the philosophy or viewpoint is that birth is inherently dangerous. It needs to be managed very aggressively. It otherwise it, it, it goes awry and goes awry often. And so it needs to be managed very aggressively to prevent um, harm. The other end swing all the way to the other end of the spectrum is Birth is a normal bodily function for a female mammal, including human. Uh, it needs to be managed very gently, very patiently, and um, with um, high-level observation. Otherwise, you can actually cause a cascade into other interventions and other problems because it's so finely tuned and needs to be managed very gently and supportively um, into a great birth. So two very far ends of the spectrum and practitioners fall somewhere between those two extremes. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, let's break down what are some things people should consider about the different options and maybe what someone may feel drawn to towards one option more than the other. Okay, we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is the story of the one. 
As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. All right, so let's go over again hospital, home birth, birth center, and what are some things people should consider about each place of birth. And I guess, let me give you a little bit about where my mind is for that kind of question. I guess when things to consider for, let's say, um, a home birth again, is that yes, you don't have an, an OR right there or where someone feels the safest. If someone is like, I want that OR next to me, a home birth is not going to be a good choice. So I'm going to throw that question to you now. Sure. Um, so I like to start with the individual because really this is such a personal decision and yes. I support all, all birth, um, options and decisions because it's not about me. It's about what's right for my client and we are all individuals in this. Um, so, you know, there's an old expression, you birth the way that you live. And so when a person is really just honest with themselves about who they are, how they live, you know, if someone is extremely pain averse, a home birth is not the right option. A birth center is not the right option where, you know, if they want to like get an epidural in the parking lot, um, in the lobby of the building, or preferably even at home before they've gone to the hospital, a hospital birth is their best option because of, you know, the, that sort of pain management, um, availability. If a person says to me, like, I never take medicines. I live incredibly holistically. I like, uh, for my body to have full expression and, you know, there are other options than birthing in the hospital, um, where things are, you know, for obvious reasons, more medical. Um, and you know, so it depends on the person and how they live their life. That makes a lot of sense. I remember the very first home birth I attended uh, as a doula and, I remember talking to Terry about this. Okay, let me back up for those who are like, who's Terry? I've done, I think, two or three (laughs) podcasts with her. She was my mentor. She is Catherine's doula partner, and she was the doula for both my births. And the client... Oh, we were talking about Terry Richmond. Terry Terry Richmond. Richmond. Incredible Terry Richmond. Who we love. So I was actually nervous about being the doula at my very first home birth because I was there before the midwives, and my client just kept saying how nervous she was about the home birth. And I remember Terry being like, oh, just just watch how that unfolds because of course one's nervous about birth because we don't know how it's going to unfold. But what Terry stuck in my mind is the best place for someone to birth is where they feel the safest. And the client just kept saying like, when's the midwife going to get here? I don't feel safe without her here. And that just kept ringing. It actually turned out to be a a beautiful experience, but there was that moment of like, if she's telling me she's nervous and she doesn't feel safe, should we be here? So that in my brain, that's one of the one of the key elements of where do you feel the safest? What do you, what are your thoughts on that? Right. And for her, it sounds like for her, there was like an anchor in that, in that woman, the midwife. And so once she arrived, it sounds like it was it great. Continued yes. as a home birth. And, yes. and like, and she just needed that kind of feeling of grounding. So safety is a very interesting um, question. And I think it often gets um, confused with fear. 
Um, so safety is your, it, let's just talk about other places where you feel safe, in your home, in your bedroom. That's why you're able to fall asleep. If you didn't feel safe, you would be on red alert. Um, but fear is a very different um, question. And so often when you ask them where they feel safe, what gets answered is what they're afraid of. Um, and so, but safety has to do with where your body will be able to let a baby come out of you. And that, because it's driven by oxytocin, so um, females um, produce the highest amount of oxytocin when they orgasm, other than labor, which is much higher than orgasm. So where do females orgasm? Certainly not on a city bus in the middle of the day, you know, where people are coming up and asking them whether they have an elevator or stairs in their apartment. You know, which is one of the gazillion questions that women are asked during labor when they're getting admitted to the hospital, um, which can be challenging to be answering all those things. And also why labor can slow down when you leave your darkened private space. So in childhood education, which I've been a long time educator and have taught at prenatal yoga center um, with much joy. I love teaching that, um, is that, you know, not leaving home too soon or too early because this it's a, a feedback loop of oxytocin traveling via the bloodstream down to the uterus, creating a contraction, and then that the sensation traveling back to the brain and saying, Yes, that was right action, more please. Um, and getting that, you know, kind of like the little engine that could, getting enough steam in that engine and that feedback loop between brain, pituitary, and uterus, um, so that it, everything doesn't slow down and stop. But you know. The mind, the prefrontal cortex, what's right behind our forehead is a thinking part of the brain says, yes, well, I feel safest in the hospital. And so that's why I've designed to go there. But the further back part, the pituitary doesn't actually communicate with the prefrontal cortex. And so it says not safe when in public trying to do a process that creates high levels of oxytocin, which is something that only happens in privacy and typically in darkness. It says not safe now, so maybe not to labor. So if you pull a fox out of its hole by its tail, I do not suggest doing this. Foxes <laughs> don't deserve that kind of treatment. But and, and it's under threat by a bear. It says don't labor. And we have muscles in our uterus um, that will um, basically um, spiral down and prevent the cervix from contracting more when stress hormones are released so that she can escape and get herself and her pups to safety. Now, the, our, the pituitary doesn't understand the difference between perceived threat and actual threat. It just says, bear, you're under attack, don't labor. And that's the, so there's a big difference between what your thinking mind thinks of as safe and what your deeper, more mammalian part of your brain interprets as safe. And I think that people, people come to that later and go, oh yeah, okay, you know, that's why we end up using a lot of Pitocin in the hospital. So this over, brings us it, back to what we talked about earlier. So we know that I think the statistics is like, it's like 98, 99% of people are going to birth in a hospital. And we know yeah. that there's often bright lights and extraneous people and noise. So this brings us back to that conversation that we had at the very beginning of our talk was, so how can we, how, yeah, <laughs> environment, circle this wagon. So what are some ways to make a hospital birth feel more intimate, like a birth center or home birth? 
Yeah. And this is something that I certainly teach and I work with my clients on. And many, many years ago, I was thinking about what, you know, cattle and, and, and dogs and cats do and how they, you know, if they have access to darkness and privacy, so a lot like a deer in the forest doesn't necessarily, she goes to the place where it's the most, you know, the most protected, but, um, like a cat will like dig into your closet and go to the back of the closet and, and, you know, have kittens there, um, or a dog under a bed or get, you know, to their privacy place. And so I was thinking about that. And then what could we do to fool the part of the brain that needs to keep laboring, that doesn't talk to the prefrontal cortex. So it can't say, yeah, but we arranged to go to a hospital. So just, you know, keep going. It doesn't have that communication. So what can you do? And I thought, put on dark glasses, dark glasses. Um, and then as you're walking around, you can stop when you have a contraction, you can close your eyes, create even greater darkness. And I'm talking like Jackie O dark glasses, <laughs> like big covering all the way around the eyes. And then, you know, um, e- even putting on a hat or a hoodie and putting either, um, you know, earplugs in or even better now that we have, you know, your, you know, ear things, you know, noise canceling. Um, you can put sound in your ears and that take you into your very own private space. And I call that rock star entry. <laughs> when you go into the hospital, if you're wearing dark sunglasses, they automatically assume you are a star because the only people who would do that were is to like it. hide their identity. <laughs> and, you know, and basically your, the quality of your care goes up if they assume you're like trying to hide your identity, kind of like, who is, who is that un- under there? And, um, so that, that's certainly what I experience all the time is people like get better care by wearing dark sunglasses. And, but you're actually protecting the part of the brain that is very easy to fool. If you've ever been around, um, animals, they are, they don't have a guard against other behavior. So like a cow is incredibly docile and easy to fool. That's why people can abuse them and cow tipping and things like that, which I don't endorse at all (laughs) because they are incredibly docile and sweet creatures, but it's easy to fool the pituitary if you create the environment in your own head. So I'm talking first and foremost in your own space. And I'm talking from the time you're leaving your home, creating that darkness and continuing it often through triage, which is where most people are going to have to go into a triage space, which is separate from a labor room that you get there later, um, where you're being assessed. So triage is a place of assessment of seeing how far along you are, what's going on, and where if you're not far along enough, you can be sent home. And no one likes that of like, you've made this entire trek to the hospital and being like, wah, wah, you know, yeah. no, you're not very far along. And off you go. It feels defeating. It often could slow down or stop labor. And now you have to wait for it to get going again, or it extends and makes labor longer. Um, not the ideal. Um, obviously having a doula or someone who can help you um, dependent on her, the, her level of experience to identify where you are in labor, get into a good rhythm of labor, how to work with sensations of labor, including if you're planning on using an epidural, they don't come to your home to give you, give it to you. So typically you're going to need to manage some measure of labor before an epidural is available to you. Um, but so you're taking control of your own literal personal environment um, into a labor room. And then some of my clients continue to wear the glasses because it feels so much better. So if you ask a woman who's laboring and she's in a hospital room and the lights are on and bright, 
should I turn off the lights? Like I'm thinking husbands, like asking their wives questions like, well, should I? She'll often say, no, I'm fine. But if you turn those lights off, she'll say within a few minutes, like within one to three minutes, she'll say, oh my God, that's so much better. Mm -hmm. Because oxytocin, think orgasm. Do you want a spotlight on you? No. Or does, does it, or is it, yeah, exactly. Or is it better for that process? Think sleep, melatonin, oxytocin, these two hormones that drive getting us into labor and carrying us through labor. No, bright lights is contrary to it. And so it's not about, again, being airy fairy and Birkenstocks and wearing a garland of flowers in your hair. This is brain chemistry and working with brain chemistry to create environment that encourages more of the hormones that are necessary to carry us through labor. What that means is translate all the blah, 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 blah that I just said, shorter labor, shorter, simpler labor. That's what everyone wants, but there's ways to get it. Now, beyond that talking environment is taking control of that room. So I've just addressed turning the lights off and, you know, sound is a big thing. And I call it sound instead of music because most people think music and it's like whatever they like, you know, language and singing and all that sort of stuff. But a lot of times, until, while a woman is still unmedicated, she doesn't really want language because that activates the language center of her brain, which is contrary to what the pituitary wants. So it's often really kind of boring sounds like white noise or nature sounds or the kind of music that would be played at a spa or while you're getting a massage, something that's very gentle. Um, if you get an epidural, then whatever. I've done like all Elvis births, all Frank Sinatra births, <laughs> and I've done two all Britney Spears births in the same family. Um, so like, you know, whatever, but you know, and multiple other playlists, of course, you know, um, but before getting an epidural, typically it's a lot um, more, gentle, the sound, um, that kind of goes along with what the pituitary likes. Not that that's the only option, but it tends to like, people think, oh, I'll listen to classical music. And then they turn on something like a rock monodal piano concerto, which is amazing, but it's like, and they're like, oh my God, turn it, turn it off. Like, because it's too, too, too much. stimulating. But yeah. Too stimulating. And what the, the brain is trying to go into a very calm, um, calm this trance like state. Um, so that, which is where we produce the most oxytocin. Let's go deeper into that. So how might the partner's involvement and role differ from hospital to home birth to birth center? What might they want to keep in mind about how they need to offer support? Sure. So, you know, um, it, in a home birth and very typically in a birth center birth, that would be an ideal um, location and sort of birth scenario for a partner that wants a high level of involvement. Not just like, well, you know, thinking the nurses are going to handle it because I think it shocks people in a hospital birth that the nurse, you know, typically pre-pandemic, I would tell people that the nurse was out of the room 70 to 80% of the time. And now in a, in a typical hospital birth, it can be up to 90% of the time that you spend alone with whomever you bring with you. This is not me bad-mouthing a hospital. These nurses are working their butts off and, you know, running back and forth room to room, but they can only be in one place at a time. So um, even in a hospital birth, um, having someone to be providing that sort of care, but in a home birth or a birth center birth, 
that would be a location where the partner really wants to be an active birth partner. Um, and in terms of supporting the laboring person and really showing up and being, um, involved. You know, when I'm working with a couple, no matter where, cause I worked in, uh, obviously in, in birth center, home birth and in a hospital, um, you know, and I work with a wide range of partner involvement, some who absolutely want no involvement whatsoever, won't even be in the room, um, to high level of involvement. But I don't ask that they do anything in particular. I find out what it is they want to do, and then they do that. Okay, we're going to take another break, and when we come back, what is one final tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer new and expectant parents? And it can be about anything. It could still be about the different considerations of places to birth, but it could be about anything. You've been doing this you know, for a while. I've been to this rodeo a couple of times. So <laughs> we'll take a quick break. We come back. You can take a beat or so to think about your answer. We'll be right back. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay. I'm going to unleash that question on you. <laughs> what would you Great. like? What's one final tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer? So, um, the, the, um, the greatest sorrow that I see in birth, which I always wish to, um, uh, find ways to never have to go down that road is when people, um, you know, people will say to me, well, I don't really want to want anything because if I don't get it, I'm going to be disappointed. And that is absolutely not true. That would be like saying, well, I don't really want to pick a profession because if it didn't work out, then I'm not going to be upset. So I'm going to just kind of wander around and kind of do jobs that I can't stand and really not pick because I might get disappointed. No, you're disappointed by never having put all your eggs in a basket and going for it. Um, because then if it's not unfolding and you have help to keep, keep it or get it on track, then at least you gave it a go. So, um, but the, the greatest, um, disappointment I see is when people are not honest with themselves about who they are and they set themselves up because they would like to be a person who would like to birth a particular way, but they aren't. And so then they say, well, you know, they would, you know, if you like to be a person who would like something, but you're not then, and you put yourself in that category, you are not in any way well positioned to have an enjoyable experience. Mm -hmm. So that is about like kind of honesty with oneself and having some, some guts to really go for it, go for what you want. I would give that advice to anyone around anything, whether it be their, their, you know, you know, get out dating again, if you've gotten your heart broken or go for the, 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 the thing that you're most passionate about in life, in your profession or, or your hobbies or your birth. Um, and that, you know, to, to lay it out there and that has to do with some self-reflection and, um, and not kind of like hiding from it. So that would be what I, what I would suggest. That is perfect. I really like that. Where can people find your work? 
Um, well, our website is um, laborlove.org. Um, and, you know, um, people can connect to us that to, to me and to Terry that way. And, um, and we love hearing from people. Um, we do, you know, free consultations. So somebody can just get a sense of what it's like. There's no obligation to do that. And, you know, I find that people often say, I thought it was going to be one thing and it was totally not what I thought it was going to be and are thrilled by it. They think that a doula is going to try and force them to do something. And I would call that, that, that is not support. Support is actually coming from your own agenda, what you wish for, what you desire for your birth with no other agenda, but that, um, because that, you know, genuine support feels like, you know, something that's tailor-made to fit you, not trying to get you to do something so that there's some sort of notch in the doula's belt. Um, we genuinely support people from whatever it is they want. And I think, you know, there are plenty of doulas who don't do this, but I, I support scheduled cesareans, home births, birth center births, uh, medicated hospital births, inductions, anything, anything that is like, what is, does, you know, um, uh, what is needed to happen. And that's a decision between the patient and their primary caregiver for birth, whether that be a doctor or a midwife. And you just gave me an idea. Decided, yeah, I, th- I think we should also do another podcast about red flags because oh, interesting. Don't you yeah. think because oh, boy. Yes. red flags for care providers, because it's definitely been some bait and switch I've seen red flags for doulas that if you hear a doula trying to be like, Oh, this is what I always do that that's a red flag because it shouldn't be an always because that may not fit every body in any, in any profession, people can get into, this is what I do, take it or leave it. And mm-hmm. that is not what I do. Um, I, it is highly tailored to the individual, but I think that that would be a great conversation Don't because you, there are yeah. red flags and a lot of times people feel them. And it is one of the hardest things for a woman after, or a person who is pregnant, who has delivered, um, after the fact, if it didn't go at all the way she had hoped and she knew it beforehand, because she will continue to look over her shoulder and what then the people have a strong tendency to do is then to blame themselves as opposed to because I knew and I didn't look, I, I would say that when people have it in their mind, like maybe I should like be looking for a second opinion, whether it be about a doula or a doctor or anything, um, uh, you know, scratching that itch is always a good idea because you don't have to do anything, but you're not left with, oh, like, why didn't I? Why didn't I? Because those are some of the hardest lessons learned in life is when we knew something and we didn't. And it we're just it just stings. It stings yeah. badly. Oh, well, Catherine, this has been so delightful. I feel like you gave so many nuggets of wisdom for people to chew on and to think about what's best for them. That's what this all comes down to. Sit with yourself, know yourself and decide what is the support and where is that support coming from and where should you give birth as an individual if you have the, if you have the options. So thank you so much for, for your time and your wisdom. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? 
Ah, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.